Better dentures.
change and have love. They hope the weak will rise and stand up. Maybe the reason that most of people are buying this They're all in search of solutions, that's why they're trying this I'm beside myself and I don't understand I need some time to breathe and regroup from my master plan I don't fit in Oh, there, we go. there you go. How about now? <clears throat> I can hear you, Mike. I can hear myself and I can hear you, sir. Awesome. All right. So this is going to be kind of an interesting episode of Money's Crazy Mind. This is going to be what I used to call what grinds my gears, but I don't need Seth MacFarlane coming after me for stealing a line from Family Guys. So I'm going to call this the shoot back. And what this is, is there's been so much crazy shit going on in the world. And I've got a page and a half of crap here that we're going to talk about. And first things first, Dave, I need to ask you a question. Go ahead, sir. Does Redline Radio have any admin rights whatsoever to the Money's Crazy Mind show page on Facebook? Absolutely not. So with that being said... You or station manager Daryl, nobody can post anything to Money's Crazy Mind, correct? Nope. Nothing. Okay. So, to the bot account people, to the fake account people, I don't know who it is. I don't know what the goal or the intention is here. But to whoever is out there trolling the Money's Crazy Mind account on Facebook, just know this. I see it all. I approve whatever gets posted on that page. I approve whatever comments, whatever messages, or whatever goes on on that page. I have already blocked 27 accounts. I have reported 27 accounts. I will continue to report accounts that attempt to post anything to the Money's Crazy Mind page that has nothing to do with the show. I don't know who it is. I'm not going to name anybody because, quite frankly, it could just be some idiot on the Internet that, you know, figured out how to trace things back to certain things and all that. So I'm not going to say that it's any particular person or group of people or anything like that. I mean, these things happen, and I understand that. But if the person or people that are doing it are out there listening right now, knock it the fuck off. Because I will continue to report, and I will continue to block all those attempts. And if it is somebody that actually does have anything to do with me, for the love of God, come after me. Leave my show out of it. My show has nothing to do with anything outside of the two hours that I am on the air. Megan, hello. I'm, I will be home soon. Garrett, what's going on? Thank you for checking out the show. Okay. So the first thing, so that was the first thing we were going to shoot back on, and I, uh, I'm going to leave that 
the way it is. So from here on out to whoever it is, if you're going to if if it stops, we're cool. If it doesn't stop, next week this isn't a microphone, it's a fucking pipe bomb. And that's all I'm going to say. Thank you CM Punk for the verbiage. Okay. So first thing first. Olympic runner Shakari Richardson tested positive for marijuana uh, before she had her Olympic trials. Now, what's significant about this is the day of the Olympic trials, she found out that her mother had passed away. And she used the marijuana as a coping mechanism. You know, it, uh, it has properties that are a little bit safer for people that suffer from depression. So I can understand why she would do it. Now, WODA, the World Anti-Doping Association, is the one that does all these testing for the Olympics and for the IOC. And when you test positive for marijuana, it is considered... What's up, Mike? Um... Uh, so he says, what up, fam? And yeah, she should have fired up. I would have I like, what the fuck? I agree. I agree. Uh, so she gets suspended. Uh, and originally, when you get suspended by WOTA, it's a four-year suspension. So since the Olympics are taking place in 2021 instead of 2020 like they were originally supposed to, that would mean that she would also mix the, miss the next run of summer games if it had been a four-year suspension for using the marijuana as a performance-enhancing drug, which is what uh, WOTA has it listed as. But since she said that she was using it as kind of an antidepressant, as a coping mechanism for the death of her mother, and she was able to prove that it wasn't for a performance-enhancing reason, they dropped the suspension down to 30 days. Now, that does mean that the original... Uh, 10 meter race, which is what she was uh, an athlete for, she would have missed that, unfortunately. But she could have still done the four, uh, the four relay, the four 10 meter relay, because that would have been after her initial 30 day suspension. So what occurred after that is Team USA decided that they no longer wanted to use her as a participant in the Olympic Games for Team USA. So, to Team USA, here's what I have to say. You all know the reason why she used the, the marijuana. And quite frankly, with the NFL dropping some of the regulations on marijuana, with Major League Baseball looking and changing their regulations on marijuana, with all these other major sports changing their rulings on marijuana because of the medicinal purpo- uh, potential purposes of it, And, you know, I mean, as somebody who suffers from depression, you know, I've actually had a doctor suggest to me maybe I should look into doing that. But we are in Ohio, and while it is not decriminalized, it is okay for medical purposes. But if you go for a a drug test for a job, or even if you're on probation or anything like that, you're still going to get tagged with a drug-related offense. So I opted out of it. She should have snorted coke. <laughs> you know, Mike, she probably would have, but that definitely would have gotten her kicked out of the Olympics for probably for life. Now, Team USA did have the option of testing Shikari again 
And she, if she had tested negative, she would have qualified for the four ten ten meter relay, and they could have put her on the team. And quite frankly, I think that's the route that they should have taken. They should have tested her. If she tested negative, then congratulations, welcome to the Olympics. Not only that, but think about this: her freaking mother just died. You know, maybe it was her mom's dream to see her participate in the Olympics. And who knows that if in the next four years, if she's even going to qualify to make it to the Olympics, this could have been her only chance. And because of something stupid like this, now she's not getting to live her dream. And, and the memory of her mother is going to be forever tainted by the fact that she had this one negative thing happen in her life. And then it caused a cascade of negative events. So, Woda, fuck you. Team USA, fuck you too. The IOC really doesn't have much to do with this. It was Team USA's decision to ban her from the games. So, uh, the IOC, you're dodging this bullet. Next up, Britney Spears' father, uh, Jamie Spears, is urging the court to investigate claims made by Britney uh, during this conservative ship uh, trial that's going on where Britney's trying to get her conservator um, conservatorship removed. Um, and the the allegations that he most wants looked into is the um, the statements that she made regarding being forced to use drugs to perform when she didn't want to even go through with a performance and then also being forced to uh, have an IUD inserted so that she cannot have children anymore. Uh, Michael says again, uh, and Mike, you know, uh, welcome to the Redline family. Uh, you got a new show on Wednesdays, or I'm sorry, on Sundays from 2 to 4 called Grape Gonna Give It To You. I can't wait to check it out this week, man. Uh, so good luck on your first show here with Redline. But uh, no consideration at all. They knew the, uh, the baby was clean, uh, was going to clean their clock, and they... Like, yeah, fuck you. <laughs> pretty much. That's pretty much exactly what happened. Uh, so he wants these claims looked into. But, I mean, the, the fact of the matter is is that it's more than just Britney that's coming out and saying that Britney was being forced to use the drugs and has this birth control inserted so that she can't have any more children. You know, she's not getting any younger here, folks. I mean, I was in middle school. I want to say I was probably in eighth grade when her first album, uh, baby one more time came out and I mean, you know, I'm almost 37. So, I mean, she's, you know, getting up there in age, if she wants to have more kids and everything like that, you know, I don't see how a conservatorship that's supposed to only be dealing with her financials and her business decisions has the right to make that kind of personal decision. That just seems like it's out of the, the realm here And also, a lot of the other things that have been coming out during this conservatorship trial um, about the things that Jamie uh, Spears, her father, has been doing, it, it just makes me sick to my stomach. And if it is true that he forced Britney to use some kind of speed-like drug to continue performing when she didn't want to physically perform, I'm pretty fucking sure that's illegal. And, you know, he could be facing some pretty serious charges. And I know that they're still trying to withhold or, um, you know, continue the conservatorship and they want it to continue, you know, just because, you know, she had that mental break and everything when she was going through all the stuff she was going through with her ex-husband, Kevin Federline, 
you know, and some of the, those decisions. I mean, she seems to have cleared her head up pretty well since then, you know, and okay, you know, has she made mistakes in the past? I mean, I've made mistakes in the past. I'm pretty sure Dave has made mistakes in the past. I'm pretty sure Gray Pierre has made mistakes in the past, you know, so Jamie Spears, fuck you, dude. If you forced your daughter to take drugs to continue performing, how are you any better than what she was doing? Uh, baby is her choice, not anyone else's. Exactly, Megan. Exactly. Big dog, you think that's her, uh, her or her clone? I, I, I do think it's her. I do think it's her because you know, there's been a lot of people that follow her on Instagram, and there's that great, um, there's that great documentary that's up on um, uh, Hulu about this. Uh, so anybody that wants to learn more about what exactly all this conservatorship stuff is, go ahead and check out that that uh, documentary on Hulu. It's really, really good. You can just type in uh, Britney Spears or even just Free Britney, and it'll come up that way. Next up, um, here we go with a little bit more of uh, Rich and Stupid. Uh, this becomes a very favorite topic, especially when it comes to true crime. And I don't think it gets any more rich and stupid than R. Kelly. Um, you know, this guy's looking at some pretty serious human trafficking violations. He's looking at kidnapping charges. He's looking at, you know, a whole bunch of shit right now. Um, he was transferred from a prison in Chicago to New York where he's going to be going on trial on August 9th for this human trafficking. And his lawyers are now seeking a continuance due to the fact that R. Kelly is being um, uh, quarantined uh, after being moved from the prison in Chicago to the prison in New York. And his lawyers are sitting here saying that we don't have enough time to prep him for trial. We haven't had enough opportunities since his uh, June 29th appearance to, to work with him due to the quarantine and such and such. Okay. Um, last time I, this, this story was posted yesterday. So that would have been July 6th. It's July 7th. The first date of the trial isn't scheduled for August 9th. You have over a month. I think the quarantine is only 14 days. I think you have more than enough time to prep him for this trial, especially considering the fact that this has been going on for how many fucking years now? Get over it, lawyers. So to R. Kelly's lawyers, fuck you. Okay, and this one hits a little bit close to home. Drake Bell. Uh, you guys might remember him from the Amanda show, uh, the Nickelodeon show, Drake and Josh. Uh, he also had a semi-successful record career um, after he left Nickelodeon. Um, back on June 24th, he pled guilty to a fourth-degree felony child endangerment. Uh, the details on that have not yet come out. According to his attorney, all the information about this. So, again, you know, here we go. Rich and Stupid Part 2 on this episode. Um, uh, so all the, all the details about everything that happened are not going to come out until sentencing. And then also a first-degree misdemeanor for disseminating material harmful to juveniles. Ladies and gentlemen, if you don't know what that means, that basically means Drake Bell, who was 27 at the time of this happening, was sending dick pics to a 15-year-old girl. Disgusting human being. Burn in hell. Um, if he 
if the judge decides to throw the book at him, which I really hope he does, he's looking at 18 months in federal prison and a $5,000 fine for the fourth-degree felony of child endangerment. And for were the disseminating materials harmful to juveniles first-degree misdemeanor, it's six months in beautiful Cuyahoga County Jail and also um, a $1,000 fine for that. Anybody that spent any amount of time in Cuyahoga County uh, Jail knows that place is the living cesspool of downtown Cleveland. That place is nowhere that anybody ever wants to be. So, um, obviously, you know, the disseminating material, like we said, it's pretty much sending dick pics. The thing that makes this even worse in my eyes is the fact that he's known this girl years previous to this. So, you know, you know, how long we don't know. I mean, obviously Miranda Cosgrove was around him and, uh, Josh during the filming of Drake and Josh, cause she played the, the stepsister. Uh, oh yeah, Grape got something to say to old nasty ass Chomo. Yeah, send him, send him so someone can put a few extra holes in him. I 100% agree with you, Grape. 100% agree with you. And that's exactly what's going to happen to him in Cuyahoga County. He may not even make it to prison if he does end up getting that six months in county. Um, but you know, Miranda Cosgrove, I don't think she's ever come to his defense. And, you know, I know that she's got the new iCarly um, revival that's on Paramount Plus going on right now and everything. So she may be trying to distance herself far, far away from this. Um, You know, so, but yeah, you know, Drake Bell, fuck you. You're disgusting. And uh, you're going to get exactly what's coming to you, especially if you end up in Cuyahoga County Prison. Okay. So I guess this falls under the category of rich and stupid, but we'll see. Um, WWE officials are concerned about Jimmy Uso's latest DUI arrest. This is his second offense, mind you. Uh, That it's jeopardizing future storylines. So fucking what? Um, RVD was arrested for something similar. He got arrested for marijuana possession back in 2006. Uh, and he lost the WWE and ECW championships on the same day for this arrest and also was suspended for 90 days. And that was his first offense, ladies and gentlemen. And it was the first time RVD had ever been caught doing anything like this. He'd never been really in any kind of trouble before, at least that I know of. But because he had just won the WWE championship and the ECW championship on the same night, He defeated John Cena for the WWE Championship, and then um, Paul Heyman turned the WWE Championship into the newly christened ECW Championship the very next week on ECW. Uh, WWE officials are planning to make their decision tomorrow. Okay, this is probably going to be an unpopular decision, and any wrestling fans that are watching right now, um, you dropped the ball I don't know how many times with Jeff Hardy with all of the drugs and everything that he went through. You dropped the ball, I don't know how many times, with Matt Hardy, with his alcoholism. You dropped the ball with China and all the problems that she had. You dropped the ball so many times on people with these kind of underlying issues, and you wait until it's too late to where their career can't continue before you decide to give them help. 
I don't give a shit what storyline you have going on with him and Roman Reigns as it pertains to the the high chief of the family or whatever the fuck it is because I don't watch your product because it sucks anymore. I, 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 I can't watch it. It's unwatchable. But if you don't get this man some help, this shit is just going to continue to happen. Don't let Jimmy Uso become the next Jeff Hardy. Don't let him become the next China. Don't let him become the next any of your former employees that have had these similar kind of issues. It's not fair to them. If you offer the help to the veterans of your company, offer them to your current talent too. If you're going to spend the money on somebody like a Jeff Hardy or somebody like a Matt Hardy or somebody like China or somebody like anybody else that you've put through that rehab program when it was too goddamn late for them to redeem themselves in the business, why not put it towards somebody who could use the help right now? Jesus Christ, and you wonder why people hate your fucking product. But wait, there's more coming out of WWE. Zelina Vega returns to SmackDown after being fired and has to do a job, which means she lost her, her return match. And WWE's apologized to her for firing her over having an OnlyFans account. Okay, are you going to apologize to Miro for having his? Are you going to apologize to Lana for accidentally appearing in Miro's uh, Twitch account after uh, Miro was let go from the WWE? Or are you going to apologize to anybody else that was doing cameo or any of those other things that you deemed inappropriate that you fired all those people for doing? And not only that, but okay, obviously OnlyFans has a reputation, but Zelina Vega's account was basically just for her showing off uh, cosplay where she would dress up in different costumes of of different characters. God damn it. Now I see why nobody likes sitting in the seat. Um, we had some technical difficulties, so I'm not sitting in my normal area. So I'm on the other side of the studio and this microphone arm is not where I want it. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. Uh, I'm left-handed, so I I swing that arm around. It's going to keep hitting this arm, but oh, well, nothing I can do about that. Um, you know, so are you going to apologize to all those people? Are you going to offer those people their jobs back? Or or are you just going to continue to sit there and, and just be like, Hey, Selena, you know, we kind of wrongfully terminated you, and then we wrongfully terminated your husband, who is now in our competition. So, hey, welcome back to SmackDown. You're going to do a job. But you have your job back. I mean, thank you. She doesn't even get naked in her OnlyFans account. And I'm not saying that, you know, at like it's a disappointment. I'm just saying that she wasn't doing, <coughs> excuse me, the thing that a lot of other people use OnlyFans for. She wasn't using it to do some kind of backhanded porno. She was doing it to show off her cosplay. And basically, she would offer people that sign up for her OnlyFans to give her a, a, a set amount of money, and then she would use that money to buy and purchase the parts and pieces that she needed to create the cosplay of the character that these people paid for her to do. It, I don't see anything wrong with that. I mean, that that's a neat way to get your money back. But we're continuing on with WWE here. Like I said, you know, WWE is on the rich and stupid a lot here today. CJ Perry, formerly Lana, Miro's wife, was never told she was getting released. 
She found out she was getting released when John Laurinaitis, Johnny Bella, called her with the terms of her no-compete clause, and that was how she was informed. So if you listen to Talk is Jericho with C.J. Perry, I don't know if if, uh, they call her Christine, which is her name, or if they call her C.J., or if they use her her former gimmick of Lana, Uh, but she basically says on there that he called her to say, hi, you know, here's what the the stipulations of your 90-day no-compete clause, which expires on August 31st, um, and she's like, wait, whoa, what? what? Why do I have a no compete clause? What's going on? Oh, yeah, you're being released. Nice way to drop the ball, WWE. First, you give Mickey James all of her shit back in a black garbage bag. Surprised the shit wasn't broken. Then you don't even tell somebody that they're fired? Really? At that point, I don't think the 90-day co- no compete clause should be even be held va- valid. Shouldn't even know about it. What the hell are you doing, WWE? Jeez. Like, really, really freaking stupid. Really stupid. Somebody in WWE needs to pull their head out of their ass when it comes to terminating employees. Moving on to very rich and stupid. Disney. I got a couple things to say about you. Uh, the latest episode of Loki features the original drink Ecto Cooler that High C released back when the real Ghostbusters cartoon was on from 1986 until 1991. Okay, asshole, thanks for revving your engine like a dick. Uh, so now a lot of fans are speculating that Disney is showing interest in purchasing the Ghostbusters franchising license from Sony. Mickey Mouse, listen up. You almost destroyed Star Wars with episodes uh, 7, 8, and 9. Leave Ghostbusters the hell alone. Sony is doing a fine job with it. The new movie comes out this year. We will decide whether or not Sony should sell the rights to Ghostbusters after that. Until then, keep your little mittened hands off Ghostbusters. Signed, a Ghostbusters fan. Fuck you, Mickey Mouse. And then on top of that, uh, we're also looking at around the time that um, back in 1997, the Insane Clown Posse was releasing their album, The Great Malenko. And when it was originally being released, it was being released under Miramax Records, which is obviously an offshoot of Disney. And what they were originally told was that... um, the company that is releasing the album, The Great Malenko, wanted the wicked shit, wanted the darkness, wanted everything that ICP was all about. Uh, and they're like, okay, you know, we'll put the album out. Cool. You know, you paid us. We'll take your money, obviously, and you can put out the record. And they're like, oh, you know, it's going to be fine. Disney ain't going to say nothing. We put out movies like Natural Born Killers. We put out movies like True Romance. We put out Pulp Fiction. We put out Clerks. Trust me, we can do this. The day the album hit stores, Disney pulled it. So then ICP calls up the people over at the record company, and they go, hey, you know, what the hell's going on? Oh, well, you know, Disney got involved. Well, Yeah, we kind of said that was going to happen, didn't you? Didn't we? We told you this was going to happen. Well, we didn't think it was going to happen because, you know, know, natural born killers, all that stuff. Well, okay. Well, here's what we have to say to you. 
kiss me. And the guy that works for Miramax Records is like, excuse me? And, and Violent J replies, kiss me. Well, what do you mean kiss you? Violent J goes, you know what? Kiss me because I like getting kissed when I'm getting fucked. So they took the money that they got paid from them, started Psychopathic Records, and two weeks later re-released the great Malenko under Psychopathic Records. And it's around the time, this week is around the time that the re-release, the second release of the great Malenko happened since it got pulled from stores two hours after it hit. Okay. So that's all I got to say about Disney. So Mickey Mouse, fuck you twice. And, you know, the, that Loki Easter egg is pretty cool. The the, the Ecto Cooler there, it, it's, it's a neat little thing. And apparently there's a few other Easter eggs in there as well when it comes to Ghostbusters and stuff like that. I haven't seen the episode yet. I don't really watch um, the Loki TV show. Lex, what's up, my brother? I'll see you tomorrow. Um, but... You know, it, it's neat, it, you know, from somebody who's been a Ghostbusters fan his entire life, it's neat seeing, like, little Easter eggs and stuff like that put in there. But, okay, and then to the Ghostbusters fans that think that Disney has any interest in Ghostbusters whatsoever, it may be true, but like we saw they did with Spider-Man, I don't think they're going to give up that license. Disney is allowed to use the character of Spider-Man, but they are not allowed to use any of the other characters from the Spider-Man universe. Uh, Venom, Carnage, any of those people, those are all still exclusive licenses under Sony. So, you know, maybe they're working on some kind of partnership where, you know, someone from the Ghostbusters universe may show up in a future Marvel Cinematic Universe um, thing. So, you know, we'll see. Okay. Warner Brothers. Ice Cube and Warner Brothers are arguing over <laughs> over last Friday. So basically, Ice Cube is sitting here saying Warner Brothers is the reason and New Line Cinema, which is now owned by Warner Brothers, which is now owned by AT&T, which are the same people that own HBO Max and the same people that shut down WCW back in 2001. Mark, my brother in slime, what's going on? Um, they obviously own the distribution rights, and, and they're the studio that put out Friday, next Friday, and Friday after next. So Ice Cube is sitting here saying that Warner Brothers is the reason that the movie has been held up and that they're coming under discrepancies when it comes to the content that is going to be in the movie. Uh, Ice Cube and some of his representatives are sitting here saying that there's some uh, discrimination even when it comes to it. And, uh, um, you know, so there's a lot of back and forth and going on. And, of course, Warner Brothers is saying this is crazy. Ice Cube has too many things on his plate. That's the reason the movie's not getting made. We were promised a script back in 2012 and never got it. We were promised a script back in 2014 and never got it. We were promised a script here. We were promised a script there. We've seen two scripts. There were things in them that we liked. There were things in them that we didn't like, blah, blah, yada, yada. Okay, Warner Brothers, how about this? Friday fans have been waiting for this movie for a very, very long time, and you haven't done anything to give Ice Cube any indication that this movie wants to be made. And, okay, Ice Cube has other things that he's trying to, to you know, pass the time with because you guys keep holding up his movie. 
you know, if I were making a movie and I submitted a script and I said, here you go, here's the script. And you say, well, we, there's things in it we don't like and there's things in it that we do like. And then you don't tell me the things that you don't like and you don't tell me the things that you do like. How am I supposed to know what to fix? How am I supposed to know what to keep? How am I supposed to know what to do with my movie? It doesn't make any sense. So, you know, find some kind of common middle ground. Figure out a way to fix it. Figure out a way to to make things work. Get this movie made. Friday fans have been waiting a very, 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 very long time for this to happen. And it's a shame that John Witherspoon is no longer here to enjoy last Friday if it were to ever get made. So, you know, just figure it out, Warner Brothers. I mean, you guys are ruining DC Comics. You guys are ruining a bunch of stuff, and it's just getting to the point to where I don't like you anymore. I really don't. So now we're going to get on to the main topic here. So that's who I had to fire against. That's that's my shoot back for the night. So really quick here, um, being a very proud member of Steeler Nation, Today is wide receiver Chase Claypool's 23rd birthday. So happy birthday to Chase Claypool. Uh, Claypool actually did actually have a pretty good season last year and under his rookie year. Um, 11 catches. Uh, I think it was nine touchdowns out of those 11 catches. Um, quite a few yards that he gained over the, over the season. But he also had another stat for being one of the highest penalized receivers in the NFL last year as well. <clears throat> but uh, happy birthday to Chase Claypool, and we look forward to another great year out of Pittsburgh for you. Okay, so like we talked about, um, it is the anniversary of the week that uh, The Great Malenko was re-released after Disney pulled it off of shelves the day it was released. It is another anniversary today as well, and it is probably the biggest anniversary for wrestling fans um, from the Monday Night Wars era. It is exactly 25 years to the day that WCW Bash at the Beach 1996 happened. And what happened at Bash at the Beach 1996? There was a little match in the main event called the Hostile Takeover Match. And the Hostile Takeover Match was Kevin Nash and Scott Hall and an unnamed third opponent or third partner versus Sting, Lex Luger, and the macho man Randy Savage. And they had a match to determine whether or not the outsiders were going to be able to gain control and gain uh, total dominance over WCW. And it was revealed during this match that the third man was Hulk Hogan. At the time, Hulk Hogan was one of the biggest baby faces in the business, a good guy, for those of you that don't know uh, the vernacular when it comes to prof uh, professional wrestling. Um, he was not really one of the top draws at the time. Uh, this was kind of later in his career. Um, he had left WWF at the time. It was still WWF in 1993 had decided he was going to try his hand in Hollywood. 
Uh, he was visited by representatives from WCW in 1994, signed with WCW then. Uh, he was promised big things, didn't really get those big things, um, and went on to join Nash and Hall as the third member of the New World Order. That Today is the official 25th anniversary of the NWO. And um, Eric Bischoff, um, on his podcast, 83 Weeks, obviously, you know, for the past month or so, they've kind of been breaking down all the moments that led up to the the emergence of the NWO and even, after, like, the, the first few months of their existence. Um, and the night of Bash at the Beach, um, Eric Bischoff is quoted as saying, I still didn't know if Hogan was going to be the third man. It, I, I did not know until Hulk walked out of the dressing room and started walking down uh, to the gorilla position and walking down uh, the entrance ramp into the ring that Hogan was going to be the third man or not. The backup plan for this was Sting. And Scott, uh, um, Steve Borden, the man beneath the paint, uh, has always kind of said, I don't remember that that was supposed to be the third man if Hogan turned it down. But, you know, if Hall and Nash and Bischoff and all these other guys are saying that that was the plan, then that was the plan. So, you know, but Steve Borden's been hitting the head quite a bit over the years, so it's it's possible that he may not remember that. Um, but Bischoff also talks about the reasons that almost stopped Hulk from turning heel. And there's a couple quotes here that I found kind of interesting. So Bischoff went on to say that um, I will say that Peter Young truly has Hulk's best interest at heart. Uh, Peter Young was his manager at the time. So, so I don't want to make it sound like Peter was selfish or concerned about himself or anything like that. But Peter Young is one of those guys that's always afraid that the sky is going to fall. I was pretty sure uh, he was the voice that was in Hulk's ear. He didn't mean to, but because of his affection for Hulk and his role as Hulk's manager, I was pretty sure that Peter was in Hulk's ear on a pretty consistent basis trying to talk him out of this in his own way. Uh, Bischoff also said that uh, uh, Hulk's ex-wife, Linda, was a major influence, claimed that she was purely motivated by money, and also added that Hulk's main concern was how it would impact his children. Uh, so Bischoff is quoted as saying, Linda was all about the money. She didn't give a shit. She was obviously a strong influence. She could wear you down. She had a strong personality. And if Linda thought that this would be a bad financial move for Hulk, because let's face it, heels don't sell merchandise. Ask Scott Hall how that turned out. Because according to him, he's still making six figures off of NWO merch that's being sold on WWE Shop. Uh, generally speaking... Clearly not the case with the NWO because they're still making money, as we heard from Scott Hall a couple weeks ago. But at the time, we didn't know that. Hulk didn't know that. Linda didn't know that. Peter Young wouldn't have known that. Typically, in wrestling business, once you turn heel, merchandise sales go down dramatically. I would imagine, from Linda's perspective, that that was a concern, but even though the kids were very young, that was one of Hulk's primary concerns. 
when I went down to Hulk's house to talk to him about the idea of turning heel, his primary concern was the effect it would have on his kids. The first thing that's the first thing he brought up. Man, I've got young kids that are in school. I live in a community where people are into the Hulk Hogan character. I'm a positive influence and do a lot of positive things for charities. Bischoff continues, Hulk was really aware that a lot of those opportunities to work within the community and to sell merchandise. He was venturing into the unknown. Even though Hulk's merchandising and things like that weren't as popular as it was in the mid-80s, early 90s, it was still significant. He was still getting a lot of commercial opportunities and endorsement opportunities. He knew that turning heel would be waving goodbye to all of that. There was a lot of Jenny concern about a lot of issues, but the kids were a big part of it, even though they were very young. Hulk was very concerned that turning heel would have some kind of adverse effect on his kids. Kids are kids. It is what it is. Now, I know Eric Bischoff talks a lot of bullshit. Eric Bischoff has talked a lot of bullshit for most of his career. Um, when he was running WCW, even after he was running WCW, when he was just a, a in-ring character in WWE, when he claimed he didn't have anything to do with creative in TNA. So... Eric Bischoff talks a lot of bullshit. A lot of this, I do feel, did come from Hulk and Linda and even uh, Peter Young because he's right. When you drop the Fruity Pebble colored shirts, and yes, I'm talking about John Cena, when you stop kissing babies, when you stop telling everybody to say their prayers, eat their vitamins, and train, you're going to lose fans. The man had a cartoon made after him. Hulk Hogan's Rock and Wrestling. He was a very noticeable face at the time. He was the face of professional wrestling throughout most of the 80s and the early 90s. So yes, turning heel could have been very detrimental to Hulk's career. It could have been. But... I think at the time when you have ECW, who was burning red hot at that time, they had just turned extreme, and they had lost a lot of their more technical wrestlers. Eric, uh, uh, Jesus Christ, uh, Eddie Guerrero, Dean Malenko, Chris Benoit, Chris Jericho, all those guys had left ECW to go to WCW. Not only that, but the public enemy, who was a big draw in the early days of ECW, had left and gone to WCW. But the ultra-realistic storylines that were going on in ECW definitely, and I don't care if Eric denies this or not, I definitely feel that it had some kind of influence on Eric Bischoff and how he was going to move things forward with WCW. He wanted more realistic characters. He, He wanted less gimmicky characters. He didn't want the cartoonish characters. He didn't want the superhero-looking characters. And if you notice, when you watch Bash at the Beach 1996 and you look at that main event match, Sting's hair isn't the blonde crop top like he'd had. It's starting to grow out, and it's and it's black. It's his natural hair color. So Sting was already starting that transition into that Crow character as well. And you know that didn't come for a few more years down the road, but he was already starting to... to change and to make himself a little bit more realistic. Um, 
you know, but Bischoff also did talk about the time after Hall and Nash premiered. Uh, he was filming a movie, Santa with Muscles. It just sounds horrible. I've never seen it, and I don't want to, just by basing on that title. Um, and he had asked Eric to come up and see him. Jimmy Hart was sending him the tapes of Nitro every week so he can stay up to date with what was going on in the biz. And he sat Bischoff down and he goes, well, hey, brother, who's going to be the third man? And that's the first time that Bischoff said, I'm hoping you. I would really like it to be you. And then a lot of these issues that Hulk laid out, um, you know, the kids, the money, the merch, all that, uh, those were all things that he was kind of saying even during that initial meeting. So Eric obviously knew he needed to have a backup plan in case Hulk did decide, I can't do this for my career, and that backup plan was going to be Sting. Um, you know, but obviously we all saw what happened on July 7th, 1996, during the hostile takeover match. Uh, Hogan walks down to the ring, drops a leg on Macho, calls the rest of the ins- outsiders into the ring. They beat up Sting. They continue beating up Macho. Um, Lex Luger decided he didn't want to be in the match and decided to take a nap on a stretcher. And it went about five minutes into the match. And the rest is history. The NWO was officially named. The NWO is an official gimmick. The NWO will go down in history as one of the greatest storylines, factions, moments, and definitely, um, for me as a wrestling fan, you know, made me realize that there was more than just DCW out there. And I was never a Hulk Hogan fan. I thought he was fake. I, you know, I, I could see right through the red and yellow. You know, and I know a lot of people may not believe that, but it's true. I hated Hogan. I didn't think he was entertaining. I didn't like him. His movies were trash, you know, and, you know, me and one of my old friends were just talking the other day about how we found a copy of Thunder in Paradise on VHS somewhere for like 50 cents. And we ended up going back to his house and beating the shit out of it for hours trying to get the damn thing to break. The thing was almost as immortal as Hogan himself. It literally took one of my friends bashing himself in the skull with the video to get the damn thing to break. The videos apparently still exist on YouTube somewhere, but um, (laughs) that's another story for another time. But Hogan, you know, turning heel did get me to sit there and go, yeah, right. You know, and I didn't watch Bash at the Beach when it originally aired, but I did watch Nitro, the next night, and they kept talking about how Hulk Hogan turned his back on the business. Hogan did this, Hogan did that, Hogan did this, Hogan did that, blah, blah, yada, yada. And, you know, but I waited for the, I watched the entire two-hour Nitro waiting for them to show these photos of Hogan, you know, turning heel, because I'll never forget that night, uh, they beat the hell out of Sting, them four horsemen, them four horsemen. <laughs> uh, yeah, for sure. Uh, you know, great. Yeah, that that's basically the way a lot of people felt, you know. And, um, you know, it's one of the greatest nights in professional wrestling history. It, it definitely is. And, um, Dave, I'm going to take a break here real quick uh, in a minute, but... Um, while we're on break, can you pull up Hogan's promo from Bash at the Beach 96 after he turned? All right. Yeah, that was before Hogan turned uh, heel. 
But no, yeah, I, I know I know what you're talking about, uh, Mike. Huh? Um, like, yeah, like right after he dropped the the leg on um Macho, like when Mean Gene's walking to the ring and he's talking about, and he cuts that promo when he officially turned heel and they said the word New World Order for the first time. That's an ad, ladies and gentlemen. Here we go. Are you kidding me? Probably the lowest shot ever given to professional wrestling. That man did right there, Hulk Hogan. Let's get everybody out of the dressing room right now and kick his rear end. Unbelievable, brother. You just sold your soul to the devil. What have I been saying all these years? Oh, oh my God. A career of a lifetime. Right down the drain, kid. I hope you love it. Can you, you see just sold little, your soul to the devil. See those little holsters with the tears rolling down their face right now? We are not going to even acknowledge that three count. Now what happens to us? What happens now to WCW? There was no three count. I never thought I would say that he's yellow, but he may be wearing red, but he's wearing red and yellow. What do we do now? What a low. I'll tell you what. Oh. This is a... Unbelievable situation right here at Bash at the Beach. Hulkamania, the third guy with the outsiders. Betrayed WCW. Can't talk. Excuse me. Excuse me. What in the world are you thinking? Me, Gene, the first thing you need to do is to tell these people to shut up if you want to hear what I got to say. You can even hear fans cheering for him after he turned heel, and that's that's the beauty part of it. For so many years, for you to join up with the likes of these two men absolutely makes me sick to my stomach. And I think that these people here and a lot of other people around the world have had just about enough of this man, this man, and you want to put yourself in this group, you've got to be kidding me. Well, the first thing you got to realize, brother, is this right here is the future of wrestling. You can call this the new world order of wrestling, brother. These two men right here came from a great big organization up north, and everybody was wondering who the third man was. Well, who knows more about that organization than me, brother? I've been there. I've done that. You have made the wrong decision, in my opinion. Well, let me tell you something. I made that organization a monster. I made people rich up there. I made the people that ran that organization rich up there, brother. And when it all came to pass, the name Hulk Hogan, the man Hulk Hogan, got bigger than the whole organization, brother. And then billionaire Ted, amigo, he wanted to talk turkey with Hulk Hogan. Well, billionaire Ted promised me movies, brother. Billionaire Ted promised me millions of dollars. Yeah, um, what Hogan's talking Ted about is, or, or what, what David was just referring to, is the fans are literally picking up garbage and throwing it in the ring 
at Nash and Hall and Hogan. Uh, mean Gene mentions it here in just a second. That's why these two guys here, the so-called outsiders, these are the men I want as my friends. They're the new blood of professional wrestling, brother. And not only are we going to take over the whole wrestling business with Hulk Hogan and the new blood, the monsters with me, we will destroy everything in our path, Mean Gene. Look at all of this crap in this ring. This is what's in the future for you if you want to hang around the likes of this man Hall and this man Nash. As far as I'm concerned, all of this crap in the ring represents these fans out here. For two years, brother, for two years, I held my head high. I did everything for the charities. I did everything for the kids. In the reception I got when I came out here, you fans can stick it, brother. Because if it wasn't for Hulk Hogan, you people wouldn't be here. If it wasn't for Hulk Hogan, Eric Bischoff would be still selling meat from a truck in Minneapolis. And if it wasn't for Hulk Hogan, all these Johnny Come Latelys that you see out here, wrestling wouldn't be here. I was selling out the world, brother, while they were bumming gas to put in their car to get to high school. So the way it is now, brother, with Hulk Hogan, and the new world organization of wrestling, brother. Me and the new blood by my side. What you gonna do when the new world organization runs wild on you? What you gonna do? What are you hey, gonna do? Don't touch me, I've got a fleet of lawyers. <laughs> Oh, my God. And then uh, Tony Schiavone would go on after that, sitting there saying, Hulk Hogan, you can go to hell. And that was how uh, uh, Bash at the Beach 1996 would go off the air. Uh, Mean Gene loved talking about that fleet of lawyers because for the weeks leading up to Bash at the Beach, and even during Bash at the Beach before the hostile takeover match, um, you know, he would talk about, you know, if anybody lays a hand on me, I have lawyers and da 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 da. And Bobby the Brain hitting him, you know, kept talking about stuff like that too. And um, I miss Bobby. I miss Mean Gene a lot. I think those were some of the greatest announcers in the game. All right. But what we're going to do here is we're going to take a, a quick break here uh, on Money's Crazy Mind. When I come back, I've got everything that that piece of garbage Dave Meltzer had to say about the hostile takeover match and um, his thoughts on it. And then I will definitely be shooting back on Dave Meltzer. So that's when we come back here on Money's Crazy Mind. Uh, Dave, I know we were having a little bit of an issue with it earlier. Uh, Twisted song, We Don't Die. If you can, please. All right. My name is Shane Bieber, and I'm a pitcher for the Cleveland Indians. Playing in Cleveland is such a special...
Thank you for your interest in TrueTrade.io, the true leader in retail automation. AutoRipper is a modern approach that simplifies trading for the retail trader. The customer service is like... All right, we are back here on Money's Crazy Mind. It was just a quick break today. Quick, 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 quick. Um, so we're going to pay some bills here before we get back into uh, what Mr. Dave Meltzer and the Wrestling Observer had to say about Bash at the Beach 96, more particularly the hostile takeover match. Um, so real quick here, uh, Steel City Barn Grill, they're under new ownership. They're at uh, 703 Lake Avenue in Elyria, uh, and they are available for dine-in, takeout, and delivery. Call 440-323-5966 today. The great staff there will definitely take great care 
of you. Incredible seeps, uh, bleh, incredible keepsakes. As Diane says, cherished memory moments are made to last forever. You can give them a call at 440-242-9648 or incredible keepsakes. Cam. All right. One of one sports cards and memorabilia. They are at 13221 Prospect Avenue. They are Redline Radio's number one stop for all our sports cards needs. Follow one of one sports cards and memorabilia on Facebook. Call 440-638-4044 today to add to your collection. They are in Strongsville, Ohio. I, I actually think I drive by that place when I go to work every day. And... Uh, I just saw it pop up on Facebook yesterday. Uh, so when you give them a call, make sure to ask them when you will be able to meet uh, from the Cleveland Browns, Mr. Jarvis Landry. That's right. Jarvis Landry is going to be at one of one sports cards and memorabilia coming up here soon. Cuyahoga Vending Group. We cover everything from coffee, snacks, meals on the go and catering events. Whatever your company needs when it comes to food and drinks, Cuyahoga Group is the place to call. Located at 39405 Taylor Industrial Parkway in North Ridgeville, Ohio. Give them a call at 440-353-9595. All right. So, Mr. Dave Meltzer actually had quite a bit to say about the hostile takeover match. Um, and this is from the Wrestling Observer from 7-15-96. Uh, this was a weekly newsletter that still comes out to this day. Um, and I pulled this up just because I thought he had some actually really good things to say. And then he had some somewhat stupid things to say. But knowing uh, Dave Meltzer, that's to be expected. Um I do have to say this really quick. In the three years that I've been podcasting, be it either with my original show, On the Money, uh, this show, Money's Crazy Mind, before it came here to Redline, and even now that it's here at Redline, I have made it my business to never, in all of my years, do anything that involves dirt sheets. To me... I like being surprised when it comes to professional wrestling, and that's still true to this day. I don't like the fact that all of these announcements about who's getting into the Hall of Fame gets leaked to TMZ and Sports Illustrated and places like that. But then I also don't like the fact that, you know, guys like Dave Meltzer and, and all the other ones out there, they get all this supposed insider information and release it so that everybody knows when somebody's leaving WWE and going to AEW or going to Ring of Honor or going to Impact or going to Japan or going here, going there, or, you know, all of that. So the fact that I'm even reading this is something kind of special. But, um, you know, on 83 Weeks and on a lot of the podcasts that um, Conrad Thompson has over at Ad Free Shows, um, he mentions a lot of what Meltzer has to say, and even Dave Pinzer and some of the other guys. Um, and I know Dave Pinzer was a referee at WCW, but he does have his own radio gig kind of thing now, too. Um, so here's what he had to say about Hogan joining the NWO and starting the NWO on that night. 
Uh, after fifteen after a fifteen year babyface run that started by accident, Hulk Hogan turned heel amidst incredible heat in an angle that will be remembered for years as the climax of WCW's Bash at, Bash at the Beach pay per view show on seven seven in Daytona Beach. Hogan turned out to be the mysterious third man on the Outsiders team with Kevin Nash and Scott Hall. He did not appear until 16 minutes into the main event, which had uh, turned into a tag match with Holland Nash versus Sting and Randy Savage after Lex Luger had been stretchered out in the early moments. Like I said, he wrestled for five minutes and then he decided he wanted to take a nap. The stretcher was right there. He decided to climb on. Hogan came out to a babyface pop after Nash had delivered a low blow on Savage. After Hogan teased going after Hall and Nash, they and they bailed out of the ring. He then leg dropped Savage twice, threw the referee out of the ring, leg dropped Savage for a third time, and covered Savage while Hall counted the pin. The heat, with a literal flood of debris being thrown in at the ring, was as intense as anything seen in U.S. rings at a major arena since Jake Roberts and the Love Machine were headlining Los Angeles for AAA. AAA is a Mexican wrestling company. They normally do shows out of Mexico. It's where uh, Rey Mysterio, Psychosis, Conan, La Parca, um, pretty much the entire cruiserweight division of WCW uh, came from, many of those luchadors. That's where a lot of those guys came from when Bischoff was recruiting. After the match, Hogan gave one of his best interviews in years, basically talking about building a giant organization up north, WWF, and making the owners of that company millions of dollars, then coming to work for Billionaire Ted. Now, there's significance to that name, Billionaire Ted, and this is where I think that Eric Bischoff is full of shit. Um, Bischoff, um, this past year, in with this whole 25th anniversary of the NWO thing, had been coming out saying that Hall and Nash, and this is true, they had worked at WCW previously before going to the WWF and becoming Razor Ramon and Scott Hall. Uh, so, you know, they were the Diamond Stud, and there was Oz, and there were a couple other characters that uh, Kevin Nash had. And so he was basically saying that these guys went to the WWF, became semi-famous, and then came back to WCW, and now they're getting revenge for having these crappy characters and these crappy gimmicks in WW, uh, WCW previous to going to the WWF. Billionaire Ted, though, is a character that Vince McMahon came up with to make fun of uh, Ted Turner, the man who owned Turner Broadcasting, Back at this time, the man who owned WCW. So, you know, he talks about the great organization up north, billionaire Ted, all this stuff. But yet we're supposed to believe now, 25 years later, Mr. Bischoff, that this was all a revenge scheme on the part of Hall and Nash. I didn't buy it then. I don't buy it now. You, it, it, you even called the match the hostile takeover. But we're supposed to believe that this is two guys that were pissed off at their characters from WCW? Come on. Come on, son. We're smarter than that. Uh, and coming to work for Billionaire Ted, who offered him millions. Hogan portrayed 
Hogan betrayed it as if Hogan had proved he was bigger than pro wrestling and that the WCW fans were Johnny-come-latelys who wouldn't even be attending matches for the group if Hogan hadn't joined and basically called the fans garbage and told them to stick it because of the way they had reacted to him the past few months after he had done all kinds of charity work. Mm, No, that's not exactly what he said there, uh, Dave. And, you know, we just listened to it. Hogan didn't call the fans Johnny-come-latelys. He called the fans garbage, trash, which is true on that part of it. But he was calling all of the talent at WCW the Johnny-come-latelys. Maybe instead of sitting here writing while you're listening to the promo, maybe you listen to the whole promo and then do your notes afterwards, sir. Um, take, take advice from a real journalist. The half-shoot, half-work interview was strong and focused enough that indicated enough heat that some fans in the building were ripping up and throwing down their Hogan merchandise, and a few people were even crying. Still, according to live reports, approximately 25% of the fans were still cheering Hogan, Nash, and Hall, the latter two of whom were reduced to background performers as Hogan held the spotlight at the finish. Well, yeah, I mean... Hall and Nash had their moments in the weeks leading up to this, in the month leading up to this storyline. You know, Hall made his debut on May 27th in one of the greatest promos that will ever go down in the history of professional wrestling. Nash uh, came out a week after that. And then for an entire month, they were building this up. They powerbombed Eric Bischoff through a table at the Great American Bash, which was the pay-per-view right before this one. Okay. Nash and Hall would receive a predominantly babyface reaction when the match began. Okay. And I do kind of agree with Eric Bischoff on this one. Um, You know, they're stars. And everybody knows that they were Razor, Ramon, and Diesel before they came over to WCW. So, yes, you know, I can understand them getting some of some of a babyface push and a babyface pop because these are people that the fans recognize and especially with Hall still using a lot of the mannerisms and the things that he used as not only the diamond stud in WCW before he became Razor Ramon but as a lot of the things that he did in Razor Ramon the the ayo a chico the the curl the the toothpick all of it you know that was all stuff that he did um you know prior to the NWO what appears is that WCW will be built around a worked promotion versus promotion feud for the foreseeable future, very similar to the angle that made New Japan millions in 95-96. The outsider group will be called the New World Order of Wrestling with Hogan, Hall, and Nash. No doubt Jeff Jarrett and Ted DiBiase will join the group in the fall when their Titan contracts expire. No, you are half right about that. DiBiase did kind of join the NWO. I mean, he, he kind of just did in the stands. But, yeah, you know, but no. Jeff Jarrett wouldn't join the NWO for years to come. And then it was sucked by that point. The Nasty Boys teased on Nitro joining the group. And no doubt a few others from WCW will jump as well, along with WCW making significant plays for any mainline Titan talent whose contracts come due, such as Davy Boy Smith. Mm, I bet you wish you didn't type that one now, don't you? Uh, the Hogan turn totally overshadowed 
the best match on a WCW pay-per-view show in several years. The Rey Mysterio Jr. versus Psychosis opener, which was described by one reader as the first great match of the 21st century. The two combined pulling out their uh, expected daredevil and intricate precision high spots with strong mat wrestling and more selling in psychology than they would do in Mexico, Japan, or ECW. I agree with that. That Rey Mysterio and Psychosis match, my God, I have not seen anything that great in a long time. I'd rate this match behind only the Mysterio versus Juventud Guerrero match in Philadelphia as the best match in the U.S. of 1996. Yeah, okay. I can, I can, yeah, I can see that. I can see that. In between the pay-per-view opener and the angle was uh, basically an average pay-per-view show, highlighted more by the strongest performances in the career of Tony Schiavone as a play-by-play announcer, Schiavone uh, focused the entire show on the main angle and the identity of the third man to the point that the show was largely well-received despite the mediocre nature of much of the show. They had a silver dollar on a pole match between Big Bubba, who would become the big boss man in WWE, and John Tanta, the man who was formerly Earthquake, Typhoon, and the Shark. Tanta had his head shaved. Well, half of it. And half his beard shaved. Again, at the hands of Big Bubba. And this was all before this silver dollar on a pole match. And it wasn't even Tanta or Big Bubba that pulled the damn silver dollars down. It was freaking Jimmy Hart. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. Jimmy Hart climbed a pole on a WCW pay-per-view. Who's booking this shit? Oh, yeah, Kevin Sullivan. Okay, so the mediocre nature of much of the show because the key angle paid off in a big way. The angle was in some way reminiscent of an old Anderson turn in Atlanta on Dusty Rhodes in a cage match that is still considered one of the best prototype heel turns that had been copied numerous times, most successfully before the 1985 Starcade involving Rhodes and Ric Flair both in terms of the shock value of the turn and the strong post-turn heel interview. Shivani entered the, the pay-per-view show with the line, Hulk Hogan, you can go to hell. Hogan had agreed to do the heel turn about 11 days before the show, largely because there was no place left in WCW for him had he not chosen to do so. Hogan's contract with WCW was scheduled to expire after two more pay-per-view shows, the Hog Wild Show in Sturgis, South Dakota, next month. Then they had long promised a Hogan versus Randy Savage main event. Oh, and Halloween Havoc in Las Vegas, where by virtue of sponsorship deal with Slim Jims, they had a long promise. Okay, so I missed a sentence there. And that's a lie. Hogan was only uh, contracted to do four pay-per-views and two TV appearances in between those four pay-per-views a year. And he had an open-ended deal with WCW. He could stay as long as he wanted. That's according to Eric Bischoff, so take that for what it's worth. And Hogan had agreed. But as Bischoff stated, he was still kind of on the fence about it even during the show. He wasn't sure if Hogan was going to actually follow through with it or not. Sting was 
basically waiting to see if Hogan was going to walk down the aisle. And if Hogan didn't walk down the aisle, he was going to have to be the one to take out Savage and turn. So I don't know where Dave got this information from, but that is definitely not the case where he only had uh, two more pay-per-views left on his contract. Since WCW was largely focused on its company around Monday Night Television ratings and pay-per-view buy rates, Hogan's huge contract became expendable. Since Hogan doesn't work arena dates, his staying or going isn't a factor on them. In Hogan's usual great knack of timing, he left WCW to do a movie with Roddy Piper and Gary Busey just before the NBA playoffs changed the Monday Nitro time slot and wreaked havoc on the ratings, which appeared to be a great leverage move. However, in the expansion of two hours, the show's ratings have increased to their consistently high level to date, with Hogan not on any of the shows. This weakened his leverage position and compared with Bischoff in negotiations to stay at his incredible money deal. Well, Hogan was actually given a raise, so again, you're lying. While Hogan has continued to draw much stronger buy rates than WCW had averaged without him, although the gap between those sets of numbers has declined as time has gone on, the belief is that the new program with National Hall was enough was hot enough and would draw basically as well with or without Hogan. Thus, Hogan's huge cut of the pay-per-view revenue would no longer be worth it. But in the end, Hogan proved to be the ultimate fox once again in that this angle on the surface appears to be the hottest angle in the history of WCW and Hogan, who, a few weeks ago, looked like the real outsider, maneuvered himself back into being the centerpiece. I agree with some of this. I mean, WCW was still taking out WWE pretty good in the ratings at this point. And, you know, with or without Hogan, yes. I mean, obviously, Hall and Nash had enough heat that they had built up in that month prior to Bash at the Beach to where they could have, you know, kept things going. And that first Nitro after Bash at the Beach, Hogan wasn't even there. Um, As they said, he was making this other movie. Um and Hall and Nash didn't really do much. You know, they were still kind of keeping them in the, in the, in the, in the wayside. You know, what, what are they going to do? When are they going to attack? What are they going to do? When are they going to come through? And, you know, they would eventually start, you know, coming out and doing matches as the New World Order and the, the great black and white promos, everything like that. But that wouldn't be for a few weeks down the road. And um, uh, Comrade Thompson had actually brought this little piece up because obviously a lot of the advertisement for hog wild had been done previous to bash at the beach and things like that and they have the scene of you know all the wcw guys riding their motorcycles uh down the highway and all that and hogan's wearing all black so if hogan hadn't made the decision to turn heel um i don't think they would have had hogan in all black even if he was riding the motorcycle as terry balea which is what Bischoff is leading people to believe. Uh, Even though many would argue the Hogan run was long overdue, or the Hogan turn was long overdue based on fan reaction to him, particularly in the Carolinas and in the major cities where fans are more oriented toward cheering for their favorites, i.e. Ric Flair, than being the promoted response robot wrestling fans have come uh, long 
Wrestling fans have come long. T- okay, so there's a typo here. Long been taken for granted as being by those who run the business. However, it didn't come without major risks. Hogan's name was still a factor in buy rates, largely believed to be coming from young children who wouldn't be as apt to beg parents to buy the shows to see a heel Hogan. Whether uh, Whatever revenue WCW merchandise brings in was put at a major risk as well. As Hogan was the top item seller, and uh, Bischoff actually uh, stated that that was a lie, and Conrad Thompson did pull up the merchandise uh, reports from this time, and that is a lie. Hogan was not selling any merchandise during this time until after he turned heel. Uh, Merchandise will be put in major risk as well, as Hogan was the top seller, and clearly those numbers should drop substantially. Well, they already had, and they're about to go up. So, again, you suck Dave Meltzer. For older and longtime fans, seeing the biggest name in American wrestling do his first turn on a national scale is going to spark interest in a big way, particularly short-term. WCW officials knew that the Hogan turn had to be done right or it wouldn't be worth the risks, and it could only be done once, and long-term plans had to be finalized. There was legit fear basically up until the last day that Hogan would change his mind at the last minute. Hi, Mom! My mom's watching. That's awesome. Welcome back to the sh- uh, watching, Grape. Uh, wouldn't be worth the risk because then it could only be done once and long-term plans had to be finalized. There was legit fear basically up until the last day that Hogan would change his mind at the last minute. And he's done as he's done in the past when it comes to major angles and would leave them laying or doing jobs that would elevate others to a parody position. A quote-unquote plan B contingency idea uh, was that Sting would do a heel turn and join the Outsiders, largely due to the belief that too many people had speculated about Luger turning, which, no, that was not the original plan. The original plan was Hogan. Please stop lying to people, Dave frickin' Meltzer. Or Savage turning, but nobody had speculated on Sting turning, and the company wanted a shocking finish to the show. Hogan's agreement after a meeting on or around uh, 626 between Bischoff and Hogan in Los Angeles, where Hogan was doing a movie called The Overlords. No, no, that's a lie. It was called Santa with Muscles, was still being worked on at as late as the afternoon of the show. It, it, It was about that time when Bischoff reportedly told Hall and Nash not to worry about the third man. That is true as the three had up to that point had many discussions and brought up several times because Bischoff didn't arrive at the building until moments before the start of the live main event show because of last minute working out dealings with Hogan. That that is a lie. Bischoff was at the producer station for the entire show. WCW created yet another last minute angle claiming Bischoff wasn't even there and that he might've been kidnapped an angle that had no conclusion on the pay-per-view show because it wasn't planned in advance. No, but it did get mentioned on Nitro the next night. Yes, uh, Bischoff claimed that he had been kidnapped by the Outsiders. The angle was pretty much blown off television the next day when Bischoff said he was simply at some high-level meetings at the Latin. Where are you getting this bullshit from? Bischoff mentioned it. I just watched the Nitro. Ugh. 
You see, people, this is why you shouldn't believe everything that this moron writes. Because he's come up with crap through half of this. WCW had attempted to keep the the identity of the third man a secret and largely succeeded to the point to where speculation had taken up a life of its own. With every WWF wrestler missing a show within the company, only a few knew it was Hogan, although by the middle of the past week, many who didn't know for sure were strongly expecting Hogan was the one and that there were those who did know. Hall was telling people that he didn't know until two hours before match time, although that's somewhat hard to believe. Um, No, Hall wasn't telling anybody. Uh, Scott Hall was very recently on an episode of... Uh, 83 weeks with Eric, uh, Eric Bischoff as a guest. And Hall did confirm that him and Nash obviously were in the talks that the third man was going to be Hogan. However, because Hulk was very, very, very close to the time when he was supposed to walk out there, still debating on whether or not he was going to turn heel or not, he wasn't telling anybody who the third man was because he didn't know. So anybody who's out there that, you know, wants to hear Scott Hall's take on this, definitely go back and find the episode of uh, 83 weeks that Hall was on. It's from June 26th, I want to say. It's not from very long ago. In the commentary on the pay-per-view show, Hall and Nash were most of the time clumsily referred to as simply the Outsiders. There were references to them as Hall and Nash with no first names a few times, but not many times during the match, which made the announcing awkward in the main event. I thought the announcing was fine in the main event. You know, they they were going back and forth between Outsiders and Hall and Nash because they'd already revealed that these guys' names were Scott Hall and Kevin Nash, or at least Hall and Nash. After working for smaller promotions through 1979, Tara whose uh, real name, uh, who is the real name of Hulk Hogan, made his first natural national mark and was given the name Hulk Hogan by Vince McMahon Sr. when coming to the World Wrestling Federation as a heel managed by Freddie Blassie. He mainly feuded with Andre the Giant and Tony Atlas in a run that lasted through 1981, which was more noteworthy in that during the same time period, he toured and made a huge hit with New Japan Pro Wrestling as a regular tag team partner for Stan Hansen, who at the time was the most popular foreigner in Japan. With less in the way of babyface heel uh, delination in Japan, Hogan was heavily cheered, although still worked what would be called a heel style. After leaving the leaving WWF for the AWA, Vern Gagne had him programmed as the same arrogant heel that he played in WWF, with Johnny Valant as his manager and mouthpiece. Since Gagne had believed that Hulk looked impressive standing there, uh, but couldn't talk, it was on August 9th, 1981, that Hulkamania was born in St. Paul Civic Center when he debuted wrestling three jobbers in a handicap match and, to the shock of Gagne, received thunderous cheers. Taking note of fan reaction, it wasn't long before Valiant was quickly ditched and Hogan, who got a big career break the next year with a role in the movie Rocky Three, was the top babyface in the company and the box office drawing card in the country. 
He led the AWA to record business in 1982 and 83 while continuing to tour for New Japan. After the Hanson jump to All Japan in late 81, <clears throat> became, along with Andre, New Japan's top foreign star, he jumped to McMahon Jr.'s WWF, and the rest, both good and bad, oh, both good, bad, and ugly, was the focal point of much of pro wrestling, both in and out of the ring since that point. In those days, mainly credited the Rocky movie with Hogan's success in wrestling, but that would be wrong since Hogan was already proving to be a huge draw in the AWA before the movie was ever released. Bash at the Beach drew a sellout crowd of 83,000 fans, or 8,300 fans, to the Daytona Beach Ocean Center, which sold out in two and a half hours and turned away 2,000 people. The paid attendance was approximately 6,400 uh, 6, people paying $72,000. Okay. So, obviously, I was kind of going through that and saying where Meltzer uh, was lying, where Meltzer was telling the truth on some of the stuff. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of stuff in here where I don't think Meltzer knows his head from his asshole. And that's been the case with Dave Meltzer for a very long time. Um, Dave, I remember when we had done our NWO episode a couple of weeks ago, you had told a story about the night that you and your friends had seen Bash at the Beach. Correct. And that you had said that um, you had expected Hogan to turn, but that your friends didn't. Yeah, I kind of seen, you know, I mean, I don't know if I seen it coming, but I kind of just was like, man, you know, it's in a thought process is in your head. Like, is Hogan going to turn or whatnot? Because, you know, who who knows that who knows that company better than Hogan Hogan? Mm -hmm. And then when he turned, I looked at my brother and I said, I told you so. My brother was a big Hogan fan and he got pissed. Mm -hmm. And uh, he's like, I bet he's working for Vince. I bet he's working for Vince. And come to find out he wasn't. Right. And I mean, my brother was like, I still don't believe it. I think that Vince sent, sent Hole and Nash over there to get some inside information. And then, you know, the demise of WCW in 2000, mm. three years later, it kind of looked like that. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, do you honestly think that Vince sent them over there no. to destroy that company? No. And I'm, I'm getting most of that from, you know, just interviews that I've heard with Shawn Michaels and Triple H over the years because the four of them were all really big friends along with Sean Waltman, AKA X-Pac. Uh, you know, they had the click back in the day before there was an NWO. Um, Hall and Nash were very upset with the way things were going in WWF. Uh, Nash was getting ready to have kids and he was working too many dates. He wanted his dates cut back, but he didn't want to lose pay. But at the time, Vince wasn't offering guaranteed money. Vince was offering opportunity. So the more you worked, the more you made. Uh, Hall, you know, was kind of dealing with the same thing. His wife wanted him home more. His kids wanted him home more, uh, you know, similar to that. And Hall had also realized that his cut of the pay-per-view buy rate was smaller than a lot of the other guys who were in the exact same card position as he was. So, you know, obviously if you're the main event, you get the, the lion's share of the revenue and then all the mid card guys kind of split everything else um, of the take that they're supposed to get. 
Hall was main eventing pay-per-views at that point as Razor. And he was still only getting a mid-card payback. So he felt like he was getting ripped off. So he went to Vince and he's just like, can we talk about this? You know, is there any way I can get more pay-per-view money? Or maybe can I get some of the, you know, I'm selling a ton of merchandise. Is there any way I can get a cut of that? You know, and he was just trying to find any other way of trying to get a little bit more money. Neither of them really wanted to leave WWF. And they've both stated that a hundred times over. I mean, this is the, it's 25 years later and we're still talking about this. This is one of the biggest things that's ever happened in the history of professional wrestling. And the only reason I'm even talking about it tonight is because it is the official 25th anniversary of the NWO. But neither one of those guys wanted to leave. The only reason they left is, A, WCW wasn't running house shows at that point. So, Meltzer, it wasn't that Hogan wasn't doing stadium shows. It's that WCW wasn't doing stadium shows. They were just doing TV and pay-per-view. Bischoff had cut out house shows because they were losing money on them. And this is in the Nitro book. This is in the Rise and Fall of WCW. This is in the Death of WCW book. Anywhere that you go, you're going to hear this story over and over and over again. This is one of the few things that I do think Eric Bischoff is telling the truth about is that WCW cut out house shows because they weren't making any money on them. And were they giving away a lot of tickets to Nitro? Yes. Were they giving away some tickets to pay-per-views? Yes. But they were still making enough money off of the draws that they were able to to, to turn a profit for the first time in decades for WCW. And they were offered close to, quote-unquote, sting money which is what it was referred to back then. At the time, Sting, not Hulk Hogan, contrary to popular belief, was the highest paid talent in WCW. And he wasn't even making a mill. He was close, but he wasn't making a mill. So when Hall decided to jump after the curtain call, you know, or even before the curtain call, because his contract was technically up in February, and he didn't appear on Nitro until May. Um, you know, he had told Nash, Hey bro, Bischoff came through and Hall or Nash was like, well, how much are we talking? And he goes, sting money. So that's $650,000 a year. That's a lot of money. And then they were even able to weasel their way into getting favored nations. And basically what favored nations is, is that anybody that came in after them that were offered more money than what they were originally given, their pay automatically got bumped to that next person's pay. So when Hogan got a bump up and got a raise for turning heel and for turning, you know, for joining the NWO, their money got bigger, you know, and it's brilliant. If you think about it, that's brilliant strategy. Lee, did you see the interview or the uh, promo when X-Pac came out on Raw The after he got let go and was supposedly in rehab, and four days later he shows up and he said— Joined the uh, DX? Yeah, joined DX, mm-hmm. and he said that Hall and Nash would be right there with him if Bischoff would let them go. Yes. He stated in an interview that Hall and Nash verbally went to Bischoff mm-hmm. to ask for their release, and he said no. What year was that? That was 90. Okay, so that was when WCW started to do its downfall. That was when their ratings started to drop and their pay-per-views started sucking and, 
their creative was slowly starting to wear its course. But, I mean, if you think about it, though, Bischoff put everything he had into the NWO. So by nine by ninety eight, you would have the NWO into two separate factions, the Wolfpack and Hollywood. And yeah, I mean, I don't I don't blame Waltman for leaving, because that's when WCW started getting sucky. Um, but I did see that interview, and you know, he's like, I had my mind on my money and my money on my mind, it was and I March was March thirtieth, nineteen ninety eight. So one year almost after, because they came in in ninety seven, right? Ninety six. 96, so two years almost, mm-hmm. they wanted out of their, their lucrative contract. Well, I think by that point, the NWO had kind of become a parody of itself because everybody and their mom were a member of the NWO. And that's what he said. Mm-hmm. He said that, you know, the Godfather was supposed to be in there for Vincent, right? He talks mm-hmm. about that on Smoking Skulls. Yeah. He said, well, Ron Simmons told me, don't, don't go, go up there because them ain't your, them ain't your type of people. Mm-hmm. And then he was like, well, what do you mean? He's like, I'm just telling you, don't go there. Mm-hmm. Them ain't your type of people. And right. He said he turned on a lot of money to stay with the WWE. Mm-hmm. And then he went to Vince and was like, you're going to have to give me ten to 15,000 more. Yeah. And he said, I, I Vince counter offer with 12. He said, no, you got to give me 12.5. Vince goes, I'm not giving you 12.5. You got to sell merch. And his wife was like, all right, well. He wants you to get an extra five hundred thousand, yeah, or five thousand. Sell the merch. Yeah, sell the merch. So his wife made his clothes and stuff for him right out of his closet, Mm -hmm. and he started selling merch. And Vince gave him that extra five thousand. Yeah, pimping ain't easy. Yeah, so I mean, (laughs) but he he openly talks about that on the Smoking Skull session. Nice. So. Yeah, um, I, I I had heard that from the Godfather, and you know, I mean, before he was the Godfather, he was Papa Shango. You know, so I mean, he went from a stupid gimmick to a stupider gimmick, but the stupider gimmick turned out to work for him. But, you know, yeah, I mean, do I think Holland Nash wanted out of their contracts in 98? Probably. Because I think a lot of people had wanted out of their contracts in 98. I mean, look at what they did to Bret Hart when they brought Bret Hart into WCW. And, yeah, Bret had had an injury, and, you know, Bret wasn't able to do a lot of in-ring stuff but my God, you got him there the night after the second biggest thing to ever happen in the world of professional wrestling happened. He debuted on Nitro the night after the Montreal, or he was supposed to debut the night after the the Montreal Screw Job. His contract was done the night of the Screw Job, and then you wait almost a year to bring him out. You know. <laughs> Do what you did with the NWO. I mean, for for a month, almost a month and a half, you just had two guys walking in, wreak, raise hell, and leave. No idea of who the third man was. They kept teasing a third man. But, I mean, basically, you could have had Bret Hart come out on Nitro the night after the Montreal screw job and bury Vince McMahon. And your ratings would have skyrocketed. And you would have beat WWE again. But you decided to let Bret Hart sit at home for a year and wait for Thunder to debut. Thank you, asshole number two, for the loud muffler. But, um, so obviously, you know, the report is is that Sting was going to be the backup plan if Hogan hadn't decided to turn heel 20 minutes before the match. Dave, in your opinion, do you think uh, the NWO would have worked with Sting? 
No, we talked about that off the air. I mm-hmm. don't know. I think Hogan was the perfect fit. I do too. Mainly, the only other person you could do it. There's only one other person that could have done that. Was Michaels. Now that would have shocked everybody <laughs> because he was the golden boy at that time. He was the him, WWE champ. Yes, you have him show up on on Nitro with the WWE title and drop it like like Medusa did. Drop it. And say he's tired of it over there. And you know who you bring with him? Sonny. Yeah, you could have brought Tammy Lynn with him. I mean, I don't know. If you you had to book it, if you go back Mm -hmm. to 1996 Mm -hmm. and you're booking that Mm -hmm. and you got two Mm -hmm. and Hogan's out, you, Mm -hmm. you, Hogan says no. Who are you putting in as the leader? Who are you going to get to shock the world? I, I, I see it from Bischoff's perspective. And this is kind of where my fantasy booking gets a little funny. Um, I do see it from Bischoff's perspective. Sting was the top man in WCW at that time. So if anybody from inside WCW would have turned, it would have been Sting. But then you did have Macho Man there from the WWF as well. Yeah, but Macho wouldn't have done that. No, Macho wouldn't have. Macho wouldn't have put you over the top. You got to think of somebody who's impactful. There's only two. But think about it from this point right now. Think about it from a storyline perspective of what was going on in WCW at that moment. Okay. They were doing the storyline where Elizabeth had divorced Savage and she was spending all of his money with the four horsemen. Savage was essentially broke. So Hall and Nash come to him. And say, you're a WWF guy too. You come over here and look what happens to you. Your ex-wife steals all your money. And now Ric Flair, Nancy Benoit, Arn Anderson, Chris Benoit, and, well, actually Nancy Sullivan at that time. Mongo McMichael. And Mongo are, are spending it all. You're broke. What other choice do you have? Come with us. We'll bring you the cash. We'll get you that big deal. We'll do everything we can. See, I, I see your point there, mm-hmm. but you've got to have somebody who's impactful. There's only two people that I think, even in the WWE, that's impactful and that could carry the torch like Hogan. Mm-hmm. One. Would have been Michaels. Two, Taker. Yeah, but he was he, he was in WCW before he went to WWF as Big Mark Callow, and, and they, they buried him like they did Hall and Nash. True, true. But I'm just saying, if I'm doing impactful – Money sales. You want to steal talent from uh, WWE. You want to bury them. You go. Had to he even debuted as the t- as Undertaker yet? Yeah, he was Undertaker back in Survivor Series '91. Okay, yeah. With Brother Love as his manager, actually DiBiase mm-hmm. brought him out, and Brother Love was the manager. It was 1990. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Because of the Gobbledygooker debuted the same day. Yeah. Yeah. So I would either. <laughs> I would either. The same show is the Undertaker debut. You have a fucking chicken and an egg. <laughs> and then the whole Bret Hart thing, you're you're right on the Bret Hart thing. Like you mm-hmm. totally dropped the ball on that. You you totally dropped the ball. How do you let Bret Hart? He's hot off of wrestle uh, the screw Survivor job. Series. Yeah, the screw job. Yeah, and he shows up on your program the next night. He didn't. They let him sit at home for a fucking year because he he had a rib injury or something. They let him sit at home. They let him sit at home for a year. Okay, well then. You still have Bret Hart there. Yeah. You could have had him show up somehow, some way. Right. You right. could have had him with Sting when Sting was in the rafters, Sting looking for a tag have, team partner. Have him drop promos on Vince. 
that was grade A heat on the WWE at that moment because Vince fucked him out of the WWF title. You you had grade A heat. And what okay, so they did the whole gimmick where he almost joined the W the NWO and then he had the the no, that was with Goldberg where he had the steel plate. But I mean, they did the gimmick where where he was supposed to join the NWO and then he turned his back on him. But even then, I mean, you dropped grade A heat. You dropped it. And then you bring in Vince freaking Russo of all people. But um if it were Scott or if it were Shawn Michaels, here's the only thing that I don't think would have worked because it was Michaels. Look at the size, not just physique wise, but height wise of Scott Hall and Kevin Nash. Those two literally have a three inch difference between them. And then there's tiny little Shawn Michaels. It would, I mean, it basically would have looked like Sean Waltman in the, in the NWO uh, compared to Hogan, Nash, and Hall. That's the only thing. I mean, it's like, you know, you like, and even, you know, Hall and Nash said the bars changed around here, you know, and now you've got, you know, the measuring stick has changed around here. Uh, so... There is that. But, I mean, could it have worked with Michaels? Maybe. But I know that Eric Bischoff had zero interest in bringing Sean over because of Sean's reputation in the WWF at the time. You know, with the drinking and the drugs. And, you know, a lot of people thought he feigned that neck injury that got him out after that WrestleMania where he wrestled uh, uh, Austin. When he left the end, uh, when he left DX, which DX hadn't even debuted at that point yet. But the funny thing, is, and D- and Dave, uh, tell me if you think if you believe my theory on this. At that time, Shawn Michaels would have been going to a lot of nitros because he was off WWF television. He was out injured. That's how he met his wife. His wife was a nitro girl. So See, and you could have brought that out too, like uh-huh. him injured, you know, uh-huh. sitting in the stands with the uh-huh. nitro girl, and then him come out as 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 the third guy. See, when I thought that they went there, when I when he said three, mm. I was like, man, he's got he's got. And then I see Nash, I'm like, man, it's got to be it's it's got to be Sean. Michaels. Mm-hmm. It's got to be or Hunter. It could have been Hunter. Uh, Hunter was already there. He was John Pierre Levis Squeak. With uh, he was in the Blue Bloods yeah, with uh, William Re- yeah. uh, William Regal. Yeah, he was John. Yeah, I forgot about him. As he a, and they dropped the ball on him. He 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 said, "Listen, he went into uh, Bischoff's office. Bischoff's office when he was the television champion. When he was going to mm-hmm. get the push to be the TV champ. Mm-hmm. And Bischoff says, Kid, I ain't got nothing more for you.' Yeah, if Vince is offering you money, go to Vince. Yeah, I don't have nothing for you, kid." And he I came out as that. the American Blue Blood Triple H and or Hunter Hearst Helmsley and With Sable as his valet. Yeah. Remember that? Yeah, yeah. But I mean, you know, like you said, Sean was out injured during that time, you know, and obviously he was looking at the Nitro Girls because he his wife is a Nitro Girl. Um, he's friends with Holland Nash, you know, and then even you know two years later when WWE did the the invasion angle with DX. When they invaded WCW, you know, Bischoff and 
Hall and Nash were basically sitting there on the other end of that that luggage area, sitting there saying, let them in. This would make great television. How big would that have been? Dude. How big, if, if, if they let them in, how big would that have been for wrestling? <sighs> you have Road, you, Dog, Road Dog, Badass Billy Gunn, Triple, Triple H, H, and, sh- and, and China, X-Pac. China. Yeah. And X-Pac. You have Hogan, Hall, Nash. Sting. Sting. No, no, no. The Giant mm-hmm. and DiBiase. Them five in the ring, or them ten in the ring. NWO together. versus DX. It's it's definitely something I always wanted to see. Open promo. <sighs> Open mic. Live mic on Nitro. Who would have won that battle? Oof. I hate to say promo-wise, it probably would have been DX because they were able to write their own stuff at that time. Whereas WCW, the, the, the Time Warner thing had already kind of started taking effect, and there were certain things that Time Warner didn't want WCW to do. WCW, like yeah. like uh, Hall would say. <laughs> WCW. Um, you know, so, I mean, yeah, man, there, there's so many awesome things that could have happened during that time. And, you know, Vince. What were they, in the same city at the same time? Mm-hmm. One was at one arena, the mm-hmm. one was at the Perfect opportunity. And that's the night, I don't know if you remember it or not, but that's the night that Eric Bischoff came down from the ceiling on his motorcycle. Let me see if I can find that. The the DX invasion? Yes. You'll probably only be able to find the w, uh, WWE Network censored version. DX invades WCW. Yes, sir. Let's see. We got about 10 minutes left. This is live on national television on T or was it TNT? U- USA. USA. Attention! Oh. <laughs> At ease, man. Uh, due to copyright, we are not able to actually show the video, but we can do the audio. That's better. <laughs> Stand up straight, soldier. Today, we embark on a mission. We have seen the enemy, and they are near. This was great. This was awesome. So today, we will go down there. Down where, sir? Down there. <laughs> and we will <laughs> blow them out of the water. This I mission just want to see when they drive up to uh, the luggage area. P-O-W-C-W. I forgot about that. Generation X, the only group in the world 
with the cojones big enough to come to the front line to fight the battle, to come to the front line and fire. How do you not have the NWO retaliate on that? The, the NWO should have been at the at the the gateway, like the entrance Tell of the building. Come on in. Yeah. Or just been like, well, hey, you guys. They're driving down. In that fucking tank thing. It, no, it's not a tank. It's a army jeep. Yeah, with a, with a big-ass cannon on it. <laughs> Billy Gunn knocks on it. Hello. Woo-hoo. Bischoff not there opening the door. Apparently, according to him, he wasn't even at the arena yet. He was at uh, or at his hotel or something trying to get last-minute details. But Hall and Nash were definitely there because they said that they were on the other side with that big, fat security guy that was always on WCW. Uh, sitting there saying, no, let him in, bring him in. This would be awesome. And security's looking at Hall and Nash like, are you nuts? We're not letting them in here. They got a fucking tank. <laughs> and, you know, and that's one of the biggest jokes is like, oh, it wasn't even a tank. It was just a Jeep, like you said. But, no, that is one of the, you know, that, again, a, a missed opportunity. And and how ballsy was Vince for even letting them do that? Listen, do you think that they went up to Vince and said, hey, this is what we're going to do? Yes. Or do you think it's Vince's idea? No, it was all Triple H. Really? It was all Triple H. Triple H is just like Vince. They're in the same city we are. How cool would it be to have DX invade Nitro? You know what they should have done? They should have sent some goons over there to buy tickets and had them guys walk in the arena with tickets Mm -hmm. and sit front row. That's what they should have done. Yeah. They're giving away free tickets, as as Triple H said. And if there was another part of that, like if what, I was standing in line, I'd have walked right up to Triple H. Here you go. Here you go. Here's two Take tickets ticket. for you. Which yeah. two of you are coming? Which two do you think would go? Oh shit! It definitely would have been Triple H and, and X Pac. They both used to work there. It would probably the Road Dog and Triple H because they both can talk. True, true. But if, if that there was another part of that, like when they're outside and they're talking about the free tickets. Triple H puts the megaphone up to some kid, and he goes, tell me, man, did you pay for your ticket to be here tonight? And he goes, hell no, it was free. <laughs> but they they did used to do that. But it was more like, you know how, like, the arenas will withhold tickets just in case, like, when the, when the shows get there and they have extra seats that they can put out? Once WCW hit their, their sellout lim- limit, like, from pre-sales and all that, those tickets would still be available, but they couldn't sell them because the show was technically a sellout. So the arenas would be giving them away. It wasn't necessarily WCW that was giving away tickets to Monday Nitro. But again, that's from the mouth of Eric Bischoff. So who knows how true it is? 
All right, well, that about does it for Money's Crazy Mind this week. So, shots fired against the Olympics. Well, more WOTA and Team USA. Shots fired against Britney Spears' father, Jamie Spears, R. Kelly and his scumbag attorneys, Drake Bell, that freaking pedophile piece of shit, WWE, for not telling people that they were fired. How can you get away with that? Disney for featuring Ghostbusters stuff and making Ghostbusters fans think that Disney is now interested in purchasing Ghostbusters. Uh, Not necessarily Ice Cube, but Warner Brothers for holding up last Friday. Give us the damn movie already. Smokey's supposed to come back. Man! We had to find out what happened to Smokey in jail. And, of course, whoever it is that likes trolling the money's crazy mind Facebook page. But I think that's going to do it for me this week. No, you're back Sunday. I am back Sunday. You are back Sunday. I'll also be here tomorrow. What's tomorrow? The Lex Vegas Vegas show. That's right. Lex got a new logo, too, that we're going to debut. So he's got a new logo. We'll have that going for Lex. Uh, And? We got two new shows that are signed. We got Sean Boyd, who's coming. He's He's a comedian. And Grape will be live tomorrow on as as Lex's special guest host of the yeah. week. So that should be pretty interesting. Yeah, so you guys are getting follow If you follow Grape, don't mean to cut you off. If you yeah. follow Grape on Facebook, uh-huh. he has no filter. Neither no filter. I. I'm just, watch <laughs> some of his videos. Oh, I, I've seen them. I've no seen No filter. Them. Yeah, I love it. So. I love it. I mean, it's been a minute since, it's been a week since you've been in studio, dude. It has. It's been a minute since we've done Steel City Renegade. Oh, we got I a can't we, wait. we got a big, big guest. Big. Big. Guest. And we're giving something away. We are. We're going to give away a Christian McCaffrey jersey. Mm-hmm. And we're going to have Nick Wilson, mm-hmm. former sports host here in Cleveland, mm-hmm. who covers the Panthers in. Man, I miss Nick. Yeah, I miss Nick. You Man. were trying to figure out who that was, right? For a second, and then when you said that he used to be a sports guy, he used to be on uh, to be CBS Nick, Radio. Yeah, Nick Wilson. Uh, uh, the, the Nick Wilson Experiment. Yeah, yeah. Seven, seven, seven to, to midnight. Yeah, yep, or seven to midnight. So we got him coming up, and uh, we got no Asian. Megan, no go Browns, not today. Yeah, <laughs> I got to go home to her. <laughs> Megan, be easy with Mister Money. But what twisted song you want to go out to? Oh man, what twisted song do I want to go out to? Um, fudge. Uh, Raw Deal. Raw Deal. One of the last. Actually, no, no, no. Uh, what's it called? Spider Webs. <laughs> Spider Webs. Mm-hmm. All right, guys. But well, yeah, check out Steel City Renegades: The Return. New start time. Seven to nine. Seven to eight thirty. Seven to eight thirty. That way, there we can kick right off. Uh huh. And when we got Sunday Night Football yep. coming, yep. And we yep. got two new get two new hosts. We do that we're going to be uh, debuting. So make sure mm-hmm. you guys uh, tune into that. Yes, sir. Yeah. So uh, tune in if you guys want to win that jersey. We got some uh, very special questions for you guys that are going to be coming up. Check out Steel City Renegades. Check out Great. Gonna give it to you right before that. Two to four on Sunday. The Lex Vegas show tomorrow night. I will be there. Grape's gonna be there. So check it out, everybody. Until she next week, this is Lee Money from Money's so Crazy Mind. Trouble. Have Head a week. This, that's why I love her.
like the way that she talks to me when she tells me those things that I'd rather not hear in my ear, but they're coming out of mouth in the HD clear. She don't like the way that I talk when I'm saying that I'm walking out the door with no remorseful miss, and now she's pissed. I don't think she loves me, but attraction inside in the back, I'm ugly in the look in her eyes when she's taking her clothes off and we're treated like a wash machine and drop a load off. She don't think that I give a fuck to care and I'd rather die, but the truth of the matter is all a lie, and I can't get her out of my mind, I'm so blind. Drinking in a local bar and she giving everything.